verse-by-verse study. We're in chapter 30. We're almost done, 36 chapters. We'll finish next week. So three chapters tonight, four chapters next week. So Lord willing, all right? If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Jim had some extra Bibles. Pastor Jim, if you are in the back, and he'll slip you one so you can follow along with us and all these chapters that we're going to do tonight. But anyhow, um, it won't be that bad. There's much that the Lord wants us to gain from as we study His Word tonight in these chapters. I want to just pass along some information very quickly as um, uh, you are turning to the book of Numbers, chapter 30, is where we're going to begin reading. First of all, um, parents, the junior high and high schoolers are together tonight, and uh, Marcy is gone, so anyway... Uh, they're all upstairs, so just for your information, they're uh, combining the classes tonight, and Jim has them. So if you're looking for them, um, they're all upstairs, and they'll be coming down after the service. Second of all, I want to remind you, parents, that, um, that we are going to have the youth barbecue at my house, 6 o'clock. There are maps to my house at the information desk. We're providing all the meat for them and uh, the drinks for them, so... Uh, they don't have to bring any energy drinks, or they don't have to bring uh, bags and bags of potato chips. We'll, we'll provide that. If they want to bring a side disc to share, that would be uh, welcome, or some cookies. That's even more welcome, uh, <laughs> as we're just going to have a, a good time uh, uh, on Sunday at my house in the backyard. It's a big backyard, and we'll have some games, and just kind of a back-to-school barbecue. And I would just want to spend some time talking to the kids about starting a new school year and praying for them and encouraging them uh, as they do go back to school. So that's for junior high and for high schoolers, 6 o'clock on Sunday till 8 o'clock. And uh, so if you got any questions, parents, grab me after the service. And uh, you can also um, you can uh, call the church, and uh, I'll be around. So um, anyway, so we're just going to eat and pray and, and, and look at God's Word and encourage the kids on Sunday evening. Um, I don't know if, John, you're out there in a coffee shop, if you can just run upstairs. Um, this is how I communicate with him. Uh, if you can just run upstairs, John, if you hear me, and just remind Jim to remind the kids, okay? So everybody gets reminded tonight. Also, on Sunday night, Pastor Jim has the young adults. That's the college-age group. And uh, we do have a number of students coming back uh, to Greeley for um, school for UNC that's going to be starting. So... Um, it's a real neat group that is meeting at Pastor Jim, so that information will be in this bulletin, also ccgreeley.com, and there are maps to Pastor Jim's house for that college-age group that is going to be meeting Sunday night at 6.30, am I right, Jim? And uh, so we want to encourage those um, that are in college age and, and considered young adults. And it's not just for singles, it's for couples that are young adults. Um, it was interesting, this Sunday uh, there was a... Uh, young man that was here with his wife, and when I first knew him down in Colorado Springs, I believe he was four years old, and uh, so it shows how old I am getting. I did, he asked me, do you recognize me? And I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't, and when he told me who he was, it was just like, wow, I couldn't believe it, and, and he introduced me to his, to his new wife, and that was special. That's, that's a special time, so um, we need to be praying for them as well as they head back to school up at UNC. 
Everything else is in your bulletin. Oh, don't forget about the all-church picnic, which is a week from Saturday out at the Banowitz. And so there's maps to their home. It's easy to find. You just go east here on 34, hit the Kingsburg Highway, go uh, south uh, for a few miles, and you'll uh, see it there. And uh, we're looking forward to it. Again, the meat's going to be provided. If you want to bring a side dish to share with everyone, it'll be at 4 o'clock. And it's a great time for you, particularly if you're new to the fellowship, to come and just be able to fellowship and get to know some people. And um, so a week from Saturday, 4 o'clock, and that is on the 29th, I believe, if I am correct on that, and uh, at Amy and Virtus Banowitz. And there are maps to their home at the information desk. And again, really encourage you to come out if you can a uh, week from Saturday. So everything else is in your bulletin. Uh, we've got some studies coming up, lady studies and men's studies. To look at the information there. And then um, some other things as well. Uh, that we got listed there. Father, we do ask that you just help us to now sell our hearts on your word as we study your word. I pray that as we go over these chapters, um, that, Lord, that we would make application for us today. And, and again, as we go through this portion of scripture, which largely gets ignored by Christians, that we know that, Lord, you want us to gain from it, that this is part of the counsel of your word. And as we go through all of God's counsel, as we go through the scriptures, we know that you desire right now to instruct us and to teach us. And so, Lord, do that right now. May we be attentive to what you have to say to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Chapter 30, then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And so chapter 30, we're in this section of the book of Numbers that has begun in chapter 27. You recall in chapter 26 that there was that second census that was taken. Moses has brought the children of Israel up to the border of the promised land, and they defeated the Amorites and, the, um, and uh, also King Og, and they have um, poised to uh, go to war against the uh, Moabites or the Midianites, as we're going to see in the next chapter. So God is preparing them to cross the Jordan River, go into the promised land. And in this section of the book of Numbers, we see that God is preparing them for when that happens. As they go in as a nation, they, of course, are going to drive out the inhabitants that are there in Canaan. They're going to establish their allotments according to tribes. And so the Lord is getting them ready as a nation, giving them the inheritance laws, the civil laws, the religious laws. Uh, we have seen that in the book of Numbers. We're going to see it reiterated as we go into the book of Deuteronomy. And he has given them the law, religious laws, concerning their offerings. We saw that as a nation they were to give the daily offerings, and they were to give the, the Sabbath offerings, and the monthly offerings, and the offerings at the different feasts. And so that's what the Lord is doing, and he's continuing to do that as we will go to the end of the book. And so here in chapter 30, this is the law concerning vows. And what we see is that Moses was to speak to the leaders of the different tribes of Israel so they can communicate it to the rest of the congregation. And the command is given here and instructions and guidelines concerning giving oaths and giving um, vows to the Lord and when they are binding and when they can be released from that. And really what we're going to see is that 
the Lord is telling them that when you give your word, when you give a vow or an oath, that you better be one that you're serious about keeping it. And so we see that uh, any vow that's before God is not a small thing, is what he's going to tell his people. And so he is to bind himself by this agreement, not break his word, is what we see in verse 2. And of course, <clears throat> the application for you and for me as Christians today is that we are to be men and women of our word. And I think that's really important in godly character and Christian character that we be ones that we keep our word. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, didn't Jesus say that we're not to be uh, given to oaths or to vows or anything like that? As we read from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that, again, you have heard that it was said, those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. That's what we're covering here in chapter 30 of Numbers. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And so Jesus, what he is saying is, be careful when you give oaths and vows that, that what you are to do is not to play games with it. He says that you're not to just uh, be ones that swear and, and by your head, white or black. In other words, if I don't do this, may my hair turn white. He says, you have no control over that. But what you are to do is let your yes be yes and your no be no. So don't be given unreasonable vows and unrealistic vows and oaths. And that was a big thing back in Jesus' days. The religious leaders were known for their playing games with the vows that they would give. And Jesus, in another place, when he was rebuking the scribes and the Pharisees, he would rebuke them on that point. He would say that you swear by the temple that you are released from that oath. But if you swear by the gold in the temple, then you are to keep it. And so Jesus... Uh, again, would condemn them on them playing games, on them finding loopholes in the vows and the oaths that they would give. And so what the Lord is saying to us is that when we do give a word, that we are to be ones, that we are to keep that word, that for the most part, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I think there's wisdom in that because sometimes as individuals, we can give unrealistic vows to the Lord. We can say, Lord, if this get me out of this jam. I'll read my Bible two hours a day and I'll pray every day for an hour. And so what the Lord is saying is, listen, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I don't think that Jesus was saying that we are absolutely under any reason never to take any oaths or a vow because in our lives we do do that. For those of us who have been married, when I marry somebody, a couple, they exchange vows with one another. All of us that have been married, there was an exchange of vows before God and before the witnesses that were there. And those vows were ones that, that we know are very, we are to take very serious, and we are to keep those vows, and um, those vows uh, that we give to one another are not to be given lightly when it comes to the marriage ceremony. Um, perhaps we might be under oath. We take an oath when we're perhaps uh, testifying as a witness. Um, some of you perhaps have done that. Maybe you take an oath when you're sworn into a particular position or uh, maybe an office, a political office. We see that they take an oath and there are Christians that 
hold offices and they take those oaths. One of the things that is one of the fun things that I get to do as a chaplain for the sheriff's office is that the new graduating classes uh, that come out is the graduates there at the end of uh, all the speeches and everything that goes on is they take an oath and, and they give the oath as they are given that badge uh, to the duties that they are to perform. So there isn't a, a complete, you know, um, dismissal or a complete, uh, you know, prohibition of, of never taking an oath or vow. But what Jesus says is let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I think that's real important for us that we be ones, that uh, we are men and women of our word, and that we don't make unreasonable vows. And we see in verse 3 that he begins to give guidelines for them. He says, if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house, in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, and then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. And so when talking about a woman who's under her father's authority, the father could overrule her. If he heard the vow on that same day, he could overrule her. If he doesn't overrule her, then she was committed to the vow that she had made. So my daughter, Rachel, I hear her say to her friends, oh yeah, you can come over and spend the night and you can eat dad's popcorn and ice cream tonight. No problem at all. So she makes that promise or that oath, if you would, to her friends without asking me first. And so there are times where I can say, okay, Rachel, that'll be okay. Other times where I have to override it. And I say, no, that it's not going to happen tonight. You should have asked me first before you gave that promise or made that commitment to your friends. And so here it's talking about the father's authority. And then also we talk about the husband's authority. But verse 6, uh, we read, if indeed she takes a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself, and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears, then her vows shall stand, and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow which she took and what she uttered with her lips with which she bound herself, and the Lord will release her. And so what we see here is if a wife makes a vow, she can be overruled by her husband. Now here's the thing to remember, that in this, what God is doing is he's protecting the authority structure that is in the home. And as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, we know that the husband is to be the head of the wife. And we know that in that, that it's not the emphasis, or as we read this, we need to remember that the emphasis is accountability before God, being a man or woman of your word. But headship here is a part of that in keeping the authority in the home. The emphasis is not that the husband's going to walk around being all dictatorial. And so here it is, the authority structure is kept, and that's why husbands and wives, isn't it very important that we communicate, right? And we kind of know what's going on. I know it is for my wife and me that uh, I want to make sure that I check with her before I make a commitment, that she checks with me. That's one thing that we have learned in 20 years of marriage to be able to do. And that there are times where she will check with me and I will say, you know what, we can't do it that night. 
So communication is very, very an important part of this with our children and also with our spouse as well. That everybody's communicating, especially now that school has started and things get crazy and schedules get packed and there's all kinds of, of um, scheduling that needs to be done. We can overschedule and we can make commitments that we haven't checked with everyone. And so we want to make sure that we're communicating with our spouses and make sure uh, that we do that in a, in a biblical way. And so um, here, the God protecting the authority structure in the home. And so verse 9, we read, And any vow of a widow or a divorced woman by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. So a widow or a divorced woman is bound by her vow. In verse 10, if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath, and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatever preceded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it shall not stand. Her husband has made them void, and the Lord will release her. Every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it, or her husband make, may make it void. In verse 14, now if her husband makes no response whatever to her from day to day, then he confirms all her vows or all the agreements that bind her. He confirms them because he made no response to her on the day that he heard them. But if he does not make them void after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. And these are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife, between a father and his daughter, and their youth in her father's house. And so, again, this headship being um, maintained um, in the home. And also, if a husband confirms his wife's vow, one of the things that is added here is he sums up the guidelines here, is then you make sure that she keeps it. Husbands, I think it's real important. I think it goes both ways. That when your wife comes to you and says, is it okay for me to work in the nursery, perhaps, or children's ministry once a month? And you say, yes, I think that would be good. We're in agreement that that is something that God has called you to, and I want to support you in that. Husbands, when your wife makes that commitment, or wives, when your husband makes a commitment, then don't wake them up that Sunday that they're to be at church and to be teaching and say, hey, why don't we blow church off? All right? Hey, you know, you're only in the nursery. Why don't we go and play today? And it's not all important. If she is given a commitment, then husband, make sure that you support her in that commitment, that you're there to help her and to be able to get ready and get the other kids ready. And I think that's an important thing for us to, to remember, that if we've given our word and we have said yes, then we need to keep that word. And whatever it might be in the commitments that you give to that school activity or whatever it is that you are doing to help somebody, or if you're making a meal for somebody and you said that you would, that you make sure that as you do that, that you keep it, and then spouse, that whatever way it goes, that you help support your spouse in doing that. Don't say, well, just blow it off. Not a big deal. But make sure that they stay committed to what it is that they are to do. Chapter 31, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterwards you shall be gathered to your people. And so here we see that the Lord comes to Moses and says, Moses, you're going to go to war against the Midianites. Now you'll recall back in chapter 25 that it was the Midianite women that went into the camp, you recall, and they seduced the men into immorality. They introduced idolatry. And so there was a plague that ended up going through the camp of the children of Israel. You recall that it was 24,000 that would end up dying in that plague in one day. 
And so here is the Midianites. You recall that it was all connected to Balaam in the prophecies that he gave on behalf of the king of, of the Midianites or the king of Moab, and that was Balak. He had hired him to come and curse the children of Israel because the children of Israel, they went around Edom. They came around. They defeated King Og and Shihon. They're at the border of, of Moab, and the king of Moab said, listen, there's so many of them, they're going to, to whip us. They're going to defeat us soundly like an ox licking the dew off the grass. And so he hires Balaam, this prophet that he'd heard of, to come and curse the children of Israel. And in chapters 22 through 24, what we saw is there is four utterance that Balaam made. You recall he's an interesting character, and God was angry at him, and God would not let Balaam curse the children of Israel. So every time that he spoke, it was blessings that would come out concerning the children of Israel. But as we're going to learn from this chapter, and as we know from the New Testament, as Balaam was one that, he was one that was wanting the wages of unrighteousness, and he was motivated by greed, that he would come to the king of Moab and said, listen, I can't curse them, I can't get to them, God won't let me, but they can't curse themselves. So this is what you do. Just gussy up all those young ladies, have them go down into the camp, seduce the young men of, the, of Israel, and then introduce idolatry, and that's what happened. So now the Lord is saying that Moses, take vengeance on the Midianites, and afterwards you shall be gathered to your people. We've already seen that Moses has been told that, Moses, you're going to die. You're not going to go into the promised land. And it was Joshua that was commissioned and ordained as the new leader of the children of Israel. As we are going to see in the book of Joshua, he's going to lead them into the promised land. Moses, one last battle. One last battle. Moses has had quite a life and quite a ministry, hasn't he? And as we have seen in the book of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus, and in the book of Numbers, and as we will see when we journey through the book of Deuteronomy, it was incredible the things that Moses went through, the difficulties and the challenges and the, the murmuring and complaining against him, the rebellion uh, that he saw of the children of Israel. And it seemed like it was one challenge and one battle after another, after another, after another. And now the Lord says, Moses, I got one more battle for you. And then I'm going to take you home to be gathered with your people. It reminds me of something. You know, when I was a young Christian, I used to think that once I grew and kind of once I got established in ministry, that there really wouldn't be a whole lot of battles. And I am finding out that that's not true. That in our lives, one thing that I know, <clears throat> that as long as we're on this side of eternity, folks, there is going to be battle after battle after battle after battle till we go home to be with the Lord. It was true in Moses' life. It was true for the men and women of God that were used in the scriptures. And we just need to know that, that you know what? It, it's a, a spiritual war out there. And we're like soldiers, as Paul told Timothy, that will endure hardship as we go out and do battle. So in our lives, it is going to be one challenge and one difficulty and one battle after another after another. We battle against the enemy. We battle against the world. We battle against our own flesh. And so here is Moses told that you got one more battle against the Midianites. And notice here it says that, um, that take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. The Lord is given the instructions. Vengeance is my, says the Lord. 
because of what they did. And so verse 3, what we read is that Moses spoke to the people saying, Arm some of yourselves for war. Let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel shall send to the war. So there were recruited, excuse me, from the divisions of Israel, 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. And so only 12,000 men are going to go to war. Now, you probably recall that, and you're probably thinking, oh, you know what, in that new census that they took, the new generation that's going to go into the promised land, do you remember the totality of those who were counted, males who were ready for war? It was over 600,000. It's a large army. So it isn't going to be a full-scale you know, in, uh, attack against Midianites. The Lord says only 1,000 from each of the 12 tribes, so it's going to be 12,000. And uh, so a small number are going to go to war against the Midianites. And so we read in verse 6 that Moses sent them to the war, 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hands. Now you recall in Numbers chapter 10, Moses was told to build two silver trumpets. And when those silver trumpets were blown in a particular way, it was to gather the leaders at the tabernacle, it was to assemble the people to move the camp. It was also blown in a very specific way in which to get their troops ready for war. So that's what's taking place here. These, these priests that we learned from Numbers chapter 10 were the ones that blew those silver trumpets. And so they're going to blow the trumpets. They're getting ready for war. In verse 7, and they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses. And they killed all the males, and they killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed, Evi, Rechem, and Zer, and Hur, and Reba, and the five kings of Midian, and Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. And the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones, took as spoils all their cattle, all their flocks, all their goods. They also burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt and all their forts, and they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and of beast. Now, Again, as we look at this, the kings of the Midianites, and including the king of Moab, Balak, would end up being killed. But notice who else was listed here? Balaam. Balaam was listed. Balaam, who was motivated by greed. Balaam, who, who wanted to pursue the wages of unrighteousness, as we know from the New Testament. As we're going to see here, as we continue reading, he's the one that taught the king of Moab to, to seduce and send the women to seduce the children of Israel. And so here is Balaam motivated by those riches, motivated by those wages, and he sure didn't enjoy it very long, did he? And you see, that's the thing that you and I are to remember as Christians. That the priority for us is to store up our treasures in heaven and to keep priority the kingdom of God because everything that we have, whether we have little or whether we have a lot here on this earth, that is going to go away and it's temporary. And our lives are but a vapor. And we can enjoy the things that we have. We can be thankful and we're to be good stewards of what we have. But never make it the priority of your life to where you're going after the temporal earthly things and where they dominate your life, because you know what? Life is short. And the message of Scripture all throughout the Scripture is, is that you keep heaven, and you keep eternity's perspectives and values and views, and you store up your treasures in heaven, and you serve God. And the opportunities 
that he's given to you and the giftings and, and uh, what he's put on your heart. And you keep him the priority and you pursue his riches. And isn't it amazing what we saw in Hebrews chapter 11? The faith of Moses that looked forward to the riches of Christ more than the riches of Pharaoh. And again, just to remind you that Moses, when he was there being raised up in all the wisdom of Pharaoh's palace, it would be that it was Stephen in Acts chapter 7 as he was given that testimony, the history that he would say to the religious leaders that Moses was learning all the wisdom and, and had done great works for Egypt. And so it is believed that Moses was next to be in line to be Pharaoh when the Pharaoh that he was under and Pharaoh's daughter he was being raised under would pass away. Moses was in line to be the next Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He literally gave up the riches of the world. And again, I mentioned to you in that that King Tut, who would die about 50 years after the time of Moses, he was buried with all the gold and silver and the precious stones. I remember being in the British Museum in London, and they had a little display of King Tut's riches that they found. It was incredible. That was just a small part of it. And Moses gave it up because he esteemed the riches of Christ more than the riches of Egypt. And that's what I hope you and I keep the proper perspective, is that we would keep and esteem the riches of Christ in pursuing Him and living for Him and serving Him more than the riches of the world. And so here was Balaam, who was so greedy and motivated by that, ends up being killed by the sword and did not even have a chance to enjoy those riches. And so they're killed, and in verse 12, as we continue, then they brought the captives, the booties and the spoil, to Moses, to Eleazar, the priest, and to the congregation of the children of Israel, and to the camp of the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses, Eleazar, the priest, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, who had come from the battle. And Moses said to them, Have you kept all the women alive? And look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman, woman who has not known a man intimately. But keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. Now here we're going to read about the division of, of the spoils. And as we read about this, how Moses was mad um, sometimes we can read it and think, well, isn't this so harsh? Isn't this, you know, kind of, you know, uh, hard to, to read and to take? And, and why did they have to kill all the men, the little ones, and the women who, who knew, uh, you know, a man intimately? There was a practical reason for it. And I know it's hard to read, but here is the Lord that has a nation now. And he's getting ready to move these people into the promised land. And he knew that if the women were to stay with them, that if the little ones were there, that there would be a real threat and there would be a real problem with seduction, uh, with temptation that would come with that. In other words, it would be those women that once again would seduce the men of Israel. It would be the little ones that would grow up and they would have a solemn responsibility to, to avenge their father's death. So as difficult as this was... It was necessary for the survival of the nation. The application that you and I can make is that Jesus would say that if your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off. 
If your eye causes you to sin, then pluck it out. Jesus was not talking about bodily and physical mutilation. What he was talking about, if there is sin in your life, deal with it radically. And the Lord was dealing with the situation radically to where sin wouldn't come into the camp of the children of Israel. And one of the things that we're going to see, particularly when we go through the book of Deuteronomy, is the Lord's going to say over and over and over to them, do not worship those false gods. Do not be involved in their false religious activities. Don't intermarry with them because what's going to happen is it's going to be a sword to your eye and a thorn to your side, and it's going to create problems is what it's going to do. And it ended up doing that, didn't it? The children of Israel compromising to where they would find themselves in a place worshiping those false gods, those false idols, and they would end up having sin brought into the nation and it would spread to where there was immorality, there was violence, there was injustice. We see that um, there was all kinds of problems that were taking place and finally it would be that they would go off into captivity. And so here Moses does this for a particular reason. You and I, if there is sin in our lives or if there is any temptation or anything that will seduce us into sin, what Jesus is saying is deal with it, get rid of it. And I think that's important for us to understand. And what it is for you may be different for somebody else. And I think that all of us, all of us in this room are old enough and mature enough to know what those things are. So if there are things that you can pull up on the TV that cause you and seduces you into sin, then what you need to do is you need to deal with it radically. If there are things on the computer that you're pulling up, you better do something about it. If there's other sin in your life, then Lord, help me to deal with this. Lord, help me to make those decisions to where I'm not being tempted because all of us can fall to the seduction and to the temptations of the flesh. And we need to keep those parameters in place. And so here he was dealing with this in a very serious way, in a very hard way, but it was important that Moses dealt with it in the way that he did. And so verse 19, As for you, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person, whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. Purify every garment, everything made of leather, everything woven of goat's hair, and everything made of wood. Then Eleazar the priest said to the man of war who had gone to the battle, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses, only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead. Everything take in, endure fire. You shall put through the fire, and it shall be clean, and it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure fire you shall put through the, fi- the water. And so you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean. Afterwards, you may come into the camp. So this process of purification, we've already looked at it with the red heifer being taken outside the camp and the ashes mixed in with the water. And so that's what's being spoken of here uh, with these men that went to war. Then the division of the plunder, verse 25, we read, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Count up the plunder that was taken of man and beast. You and Eleazar, the priests, and the chief fathers of the congregation. Divide up the plunder into two parts between those who took part in the war and who went out to battle in all the congregation. Now, here's an important point to make. The spoils being divided up among the soldiers and also the nation at large. And so it would be divided up to where the people who did not go to battle would also share in the spoils and the plunder that was taken from the Midianites. 
it reminds me of what took place in second or first Samuel chapter 30. There is David with his mighty men, 600 mighty men in Ziglag. And they were out and they came back and they found that their families were taken, their homes burnt down, their possessions taken by the Amalekites. David takes the 600 men, goes to war against the Amalekites. And it was 200 men that were so tired because they had been doing, um, you know, some things before and out and marching that they just couldn't go any further. So David said, you guys stay here. I'll take the 400 men. They went to war against the Amalekites, defeated them, got their families back, their possessions, got the spoils from the Amalekites. And it was the 400 men that came to David and said, forget those 200 men. They shouldn't get anything because they didn't go with us. And it was David that said, don't do this to your brethren. They're going to share with the spoils. They stayed back. I gave them a task to do. They're going to share with the spoils. It would be Paul the Apostle, when he was writing to the Philippians, he would say, because of your giving to me, it's going to go on your account is what's going to happen. You're going to receive rewards for that. My point is simply this, that all of us have different battles. And, and God has called me to teach the Word of God. But you who are involved in supporting this ministry, that I can be here and I can study and I can counsel and I and can be here doing the things that God has called me to do, as you support this ministry that we can get the radio program out and see it growing, you know what? You're going to share in with the rewards that the Lord has. And so as the body of Christ, all of us have a part to play, and all of us get to share in what God is doing here at Calvary Chapel. As you support the ministry, as you pray for the ministry, we all get to share in that. We all have different tasks that we can do. And so that should be an encouragement to us. So right now, if what your time allows you to do is just pray for the ministry and pray for me. Thank you. And Jesus said, as you pray, great is going to be your reward. As you support, as you come and serve in different areas, you're going to share in the rewards and the blessings and the fruit that is produced and what God is doing in us and through us as a congregation. And so you're all going to share in the spoils, the whole congregation. It's not just you 12,000. And you're going to see the plunder here as, as we continue looking, verse 28, to levy a, a tribute for the Lord on the men of war who went out to battle one of every 500 of the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep, take it from their half, give it to Eleazar the priest as a heave offering to the Lord. And from the children of Israel, verse 30, half you shall take one of every 50 drawn from the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep, all the livestock, give them to Levites who keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. So an offering is going to be given to the Levites and to the priests. And uh, so Moses and the Eleazar the priest did as the Lord commanded Moses. In verse 32, the booty remaining from the plunder, which the men of war had taken, was 675,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep, isn't it? 72,000 cattle. Man, isn't that something? 61,000 donkeys. I don't know why all the donkeys. 32,000 persons in all of women who had not known a man intimately. That's a lot. And half the portion of those who had gone out to war was in number 337,500 sheep. And the Lord's tri tribute of the sheep was 675. The cattle were 6, 36,000, which the Lord's tribute was 72. The donkeys were 30,500, which the Lord's tribute was 61. The persons 
were 16,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 32 persons. Verse 41, so Moses gave the tribute, which was the Lord's heave offering, to Eleazar the priest, as the Lord commanded Moses. And from the children of Israel, half which Moses separated from the men who fought. Now the half belonging to the congregation was 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 persons. And from the children of Israel, half Moses took one of every 50 drawn from man and beast, gave them to the Levites, who kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord, and the Lord commanded Moses. Then the officers who were over thousands of the armies, the captains and thousands and captains of hundreds, came near to Moses. And they said to Moses, Your servants have taken account of the men of war who are under our command, and not a man of us is missing. Isn't that amazing? Not one casualty. Therefore we have brought an offering for the Lord, what every man found of ornaments of gold, armlets, bracelets, and signet rings, and earrings and necklaces to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. Important point number two in this chapter, that they came, they had the spoils, they had gold, they had silver, they had necklaces, they had earrings, all these things, and they said, we want to give to the Lord. And so the Lord desires for us to give to him. He loves a generous giver. He loves one that gives freely, and that's what they're doing here. They gave freely, they gave willingly, and that's what the Lord desires for us to do, to be generous, for us to give unto him. And I think it's important that we give to the Lord. You know why? Because the Lord gave to us the very best, his son. And may we never forget that. He gave of his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I pray that we would be ones, that we would give to the Lord, whatever that might mean monetarily, your time, your, your service to the Lord, that we would give to him. And so we see here that this was laid out, and so finishing the chapter, so Moses and Eleazar had received the gold from them and all the fashioned ornaments and all the gold of the offerings that they offered to the Lord from the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds with 16,750 shekels. And the men of war had taken spoils, every man for himself. And Moses and Eleazar, the priests, received the gold from the captains of thousands and of hundreds, and brought it into the tabernacle meeting as a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. And very quickly, chapter 32, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock, and when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and indeed the region was the place for livestock, and the children of Gad and, and children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and the leaders of the congregation, saying, At Taroth and uh, Dibbon and Jazer and Nimrah and Hishbon and Eliel, El, and Shabam, and Nebo, and Beon. In the country, verse 4, the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over to Jordan. So here's what's happening. Here they defeated you know, Og and Shihan, they defeated the Moabites, the Midianites, and so they're poised there on the east side of the Jordan River. And if you ever go there, that's where the hills of Moab, where Ruth came from. And there's a mountain range that is there, and it's very lush and it's very green. In the nation of Jordan, the only agricultural uh, produce that takes place is from right there to Jordan River as you head east up into those hills, very productive like it is in the Jordan Valley in Israel. But that's the only place that can grow crops. The grass is high, it's green. And so here is Gad and here is Reuben, those tribes saying, hmm, we got a lot of cattle. Of course, look at all the spoils they got. We got a lot of cattle. We got tall grass here. Moses, we want to stay over here. 
We don't want to cross the Jordan River. We want to stay here. And so there was a problem in that. One of the problems is they were more concerned about their cattle than they were about God's calling. Now, God's going to permit them to stay over there, but this creates, you know, a challenge for Moses, and there's some problems that Moses is going to express because they want to stay there, and God wanted to take them across the Jordan into the promised land. And so we see, verse 6, Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? And so uh, now will you discharge the hearts of the, or discourage, that is, the hearts of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kurdish, uh, Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up into the valley of Eschol, they saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel, so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from twenty years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they had not fully followed me, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunna, and the Kenazite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have fully followed the Lord. Verse 13, so the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel. And he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy <clears throat> all these people. Why is Moses upset? This is what Moses is saying. Listen, don't you remember what happened? Chapters 13 and 14 of Numbers. Remember that the spies went into the land in the Valley of Eschol. They came back with all the big grapes and they said, it is a good land, but there's giants in the land. And it was the people that got discouraged from the 10 spies. It was only Joshua and Caleb that said, don't worry about it. The Lord has given us the land. Let's go in. But it was the whole congregation that ended up being discouraged, right? He says, do you want that to happen again? Because all of a sudden... All of us, we defeated Og and Shihan and the kings of the Midianites. And now all of a sudden, you want to park yourself here. We got to go into the promised land that, that the Lord has given to us. And what are you going to do? Are you just going to sit here and not go in and fight for, with your brethren? And so now the people are going to get discouraged. And what can happen is, it's all of a sudden, they don't want to go in because you guys want to stay here. And so we can spend another 40 years out here in the wilderness, is what Moses is saying. So as a real concern is what he is saying here. And so we see that it would be verse 16. So they came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and the cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan beyond because our inheritance has fallen to us on this eastern side of the Jordan. So what they do is the leaders come back and they said, listen. We will make a promise that we will fight right alongside our brethren. We will leave our little ones here. We'll go along and we will cross the Jordan River with the rest of the brethren and we will fight alongside of them until each one of the tribes has gained their inheritance there in Canaan. So they come back and they said, we're not just going to stay here. We are going to go in and fight so we don't discourage 
the whole congregation. And so verse 20, Moses said to them, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for the war and all your armed men cross over to Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterwards you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, remember chapter 30, vows and oaths that are given, then know you have sinned against the Lord and be sure that your sin will find you out. Be sure that your sin will find you out. And that's true, isn't it? Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. Understand, Christian, that's for every single one of us. So Paul says in Galatians, Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. And know that if you're involved in sin, that somehow there's going to be consequences and repercussions because of that sin. And so here he's saying, you need to give your word. And if you go back on your word, the Lord's going to know and your sin's going to find you out is what's going to happen. So verse 24, build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what has proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses saying, your servants will do as my Lord commanded. My little ones, their wives, their flocks, and all our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle just as the Lord says. So Moses gave command um, concerning them to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. And then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said, your servants, so we will do. We will cross over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. And then verse 33, So Moses gave the children of Gad, the children of Reuben, and to the half the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Shihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land with the cities within the borders of cities and the surrounding country. And as you read the rest of the chapters, there's all the cities that are named and the possessions of those places that they would take. I want to end with this very quickly. Is What this shows me as I read this, as Reuben and Gad <coughs> and half of the tribe of Manasseh are going to settle on the east side of the Jordan River. Number one, I want to make sure, first of all, as they read this chapter, as they say, we will go and fight, I don't want to do anything to discourage a brother or sister in the Lord. I want to make sure that I'm one in a place that, you know what, we're going to come alongside, we're going to fight with you, and we're going to battle with you, and uh, we're not going to leave you. And, and as much as we can, as we are guided as God's word, and that's what we want to do. We don't want to leave other brothers and sisters discouraged in the Lord. We want to be ones that we are edifying and encouraging and building up the body of Christ. But also here, as they, I believe, were concerned about their, their you know, cattle and did not go into the promised land, it's interesting. The next time we're going to see that the borders are going to be given to them, that they were to go in and, and conquer. And the east side of the Jordan River is not mentioned where they were to go. And so they were over there, and I think it was more difficult for them than they thought it would be. Because when the captivity of Assyrian came, guess who went first? These guys on the east side of the Jordan River. Because they were isolated and they were over there and they were picked off first. 
And I believe that the mentality of being concerned about their cattle would end up being taught to their children for generation after generation. That's my speculation. Why? Because Jesus went over to the area of the Gadarenes, the tribe of Gad, the Gadarenes on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And you recall that there was those two men that were demon-possessed. And Jesus would cast the demons out into a herd of swine. They weren't supposed to have swine. They had a pig industry going on. And the swine all ran down the hill and off the cliff and into the Sea of Galilee, and they drowned. And as I have said, that's where devil ham was invented. The people came out to see Jesus, and what did they tell Jesus? They said, leave. Because they were upset that their pig industry that brought them money was all of a sudden floating belly up in the Sea of Galilee. And they were more concerned about profit than they were about these two individuals who were hurting. They were more concerned about the money that would come in than showing mercy and grace and having compassion for others. So they come to Jesus, and here were two men that were demon-possessed, and we know from the gospel accounts that they were breaking the chains, and they were running around naked, and people were scared of them. And all of a sudden, the people that were scared of them couldn't even pass by that area. And they're free from that, and here are two individuals that are sitting there. It says they were clothed and in their right minds. And their response was, leave. Get out of this area of the Gadarene. You know, I pray for us that people and the things of the kingdom would be much more of a priority than the profit and the pleasures of the world. And that we would always keep a proper perspective on things. That, Lord, I want to be where you want me to be in the calling that you've given me in my life. Whatever that might mean for you. Caring for people, being in that place where I'm hearing your voice. And, Lord, continuing to just be one that's pleasing you with my life. And so, Father, we we do want to be in that place. We don't want to be ones that we discourage others and we're more concerned about the things of the world than we are about the things of the kingdom. And, Father, I do pray that we would be ones here tonight as we've gone over these chapters, that, Lord, we can look at these chapters and we can see that you've called us to be men and women of our word. I pray that for us as families that we would communicate and and, Lord, that we would be ones that um, you would help us to, to do those things to where uh, we please you in our commitments, Lord, in keeping our word to others. And, Lord, being ones that, Lord, we look to you to guide us and direct us.